0: Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Hello, amigas, and welcome back to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. I am excited because today I interviewed Natalie Huerta. And who is Natalie Huerta? She's the owner and founder of the Queer Gym. Which is the only gym in the nation, amigas. Yes, yes, yes. So you're in for a super treat as we have this beautiful discussion. And, you know, before we start talking to her, I want you to know a little bit about her. Natalie was raised in Anaheim, California. She's the daughter of Mexican immigrants and former farm workers. She is eighth in a family of 10 and was the first to graduate college. She is a collegiate basketball athlete turned personal trainer. She earned a BS in exercise and sports medicine from the University of San Francisco and an MBA from Mills College. She graduated from Stanford University's Latino Entrepreneurship Leaders Program. Basel named Natalie a queer woman in wellness you should know. The California Hispanic Chamber of Commerce recognized her with the Rising Star Empresaria Award in 2018. This woman is up to amazing things, and she is the founder of the only queer gym in the nation, amigas. So without further ado, this is Natalie. Hello, 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 amigas, and welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. I am so excited and over the moon for this guest. Her name is Natalie Huerta. And what is about Natalie that is super epic? She is the owner and founder of the Queer Gym. The only one in this nation, amigas. Uh, Hello, I I actually went into, you know, me being the lawyer that I am, I'm always looking at statistics and evidence and whatnot. I found out that there are 41,370 gyms, okay, but there's only one queer gym, and that is owned by our beautiful amiga here, who's being interviewed by me. I am so truly honored that she is spending time with us. Oh, welcome, Natalie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit
1: podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for sharing that, that stat. I didn't know that out of 41,000 bajillion, there's just one of us.
0: That's right. Isn't that freaking exciting? I'm like, yeah. oh, the moon that you're here. Oh my God. This is amazing. But like, I'm like, wow, this girl had to have gone through a lot of shit to get where she is right now. And Amiga, oh. we're going to unpack this like no other. <laughs> All right? So, <laughs> nuestra amiga Natalie is este latina, mexicana, no? You're Mexican, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I want to know okay about your upbringing cuz my understanding is that you were raised in Anaheim, California. And amigas out there because this podcast is global, Anaheim is located in Orange County in the state of California. Orange County is one of the most conservative counties in the state of California, okay? So this is why it's so unique and so impressive what she has done, okay? Because she had to really cross a road that was not straight. It was wiggly. It was a lot of anxiety, a lot of pushes, and I am so so proud of her. And I know that you, amigas, are going to be amazingly proud of her as well. So, Amiga Natalie, so tell me, okay. So, you, were you born in Anaheim? Yeah, I was
1: born in Orange City, in oh. Orange County. Yeah. So, like, OC as fuck. Ah. You know? <laughs> <sighs> and I was raised, my family home was literally like three blocks from Disneyland. Every night at 8.30, the fantastic fireworks, mm. the tourists asking how to, where's a parking lot? <laughs> like, <laughs> as fuck.
0: Yes. Oh my God. And you know, Disneyland, I mean, just as like a little side note, it's finally open. So, mm-hmm. are you coming back? Are you coming to visit?
1: You know, I am actually going to be going home in June for my mom's 75th birthday.
0: Ooh, that is so nice. That is so. so nice.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, half of my family is like super into Disney. The other half is like, we're so over Disney. (laughs) But they sure as fuck waited 12 hours to get tickets to go.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. All you
0: want. (laughs) They they think it's the happiest place on earth, right? But so you you grow up in, in this county and you have a rather large family, right? Huge. Huge. So tell tell us, Amigas, because I know Amigas out there have no idea. Yeah. How many siblings? And your parents? Where do they work, or what they did uh, for a living? If they're still working, I would love to know. know No. Yeah.
1: I'm super proud to tell the story because I mean, my family has like been the root of everything for me. And even you know, there's even been some recent aha moments where I was like, oh fuck, like this whole concept of having a, a gym as a safe space. Like, my first safe space was created by my family, who, when I came out to them, made it safe for me to explore who I am now, who I'm becoming, you know, and this is a family where, you know, we were raised hardcore Catholic, you know, we were raised in Orange County, you know, like, this was completely going against all the grains, and still my family was like, that's loca, but fuck it, like, we ride with you. (laughs) it was through them, you know, really nurturing me and not disowning me. And and I didn't realize what a privilege that was until honestly, about two years ago, when I started to really talk about my family life and my parents and all that, I had a lot of clients reach out to me and they're like, yo, like my parents disowned me. Like, how do I fix this? How do I have what you have? How did that go? And I didn't realize that 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 was such a privilege until recently. And I was like, wow, so I've heard of people being disowned, but I didn't realize how many, and I didn't realize the distance between people and their families. And just like as important as family is to me, you know, I couldn't imagine not having that. I couldn't imagine not having that relationship with my parents or with my siblings or with my nieces and nephews. And you know, they've been the ride or dies from the beginning. They still are. You know, I have I have a huge family, so both my parents have. They're, they each have nine siblings on their side, each one.
0: Oh, my God. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I my it's family was huge. It's
1: <laughs> wild. Ten on each side. And then my parents themselves had ten kids. I'm the eighth out of the ten. You know, my dad says, oh, con broche de oro" because he had twins at the end. So nine and ten are twins. <laughs> and we all, you know, it was almost like two families. Like my parents migrated here. From Mexico, my dad came first. My mom followed across the border with six of my siblings. They got here. My parents literally, like before Disneyland and all that shit was going, like they were the ones working those orange fields, those strawberry fields that is now where Disneyland is at. Right. Like all that downtown Disney, all that new shit, like that all used to be the fields that my family grew up working in. And so, you know, my mom came here with the six kids. They had the seventh one when they, when they got here. It was an 11-year gap before I was born. And during those 11 years, my parents went from farm workers to homeowners to business owners to move into the suburbs. So by the time that I was born, we were, we had, I think we left like the Santa Ana hood, like when I was like three or four.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And we moved to the Inland Empire, right? All new developments at that time. And so it was like my family, there was like almost two families within my family, like the first seven that had the traditional kind of like, you know, immigrant upbringing, first generation, crossing the border with my parents, that experience. And then there's the the eighth, ninth, and tenth kid. By the time we came around, we lived, you know, my parents owned a home. They had their own business. They had a, you know, a two-story home in the suburbs. So we had a a very different upbringing. And... Mm -hmm. You know, growing up, there was that conflict between the two families within this family. You know, the first ones were like, you guys are fucking spoiled. You guys don't appreciate shit, you know, blah, blah. And we're like, we don't even know our parents. Like, they work. We, we grew up with a nanny. You know, we only saw them on the weekend on Sunday because they work six days a week. On Sunday, it was like, get up, go to church, go to your tia's house, get fucked up, bring your dad home. And then you do it on Monday. <laughs> You know, so it's like, yes, we had the benefit of like, you know, we were in a better financial place when we came around, but we don't have the memories that they have of like going, you know, going with them, spending quality time at the park, you know. So by the time that my parents were really interested in like, you know, they were really trying to get in my business and know what I was, what was going on was around the time that I was discovering I was gay. So that's the last fucking time. That's the worst time I want my parents all in my business Right. And they're like, you know, and they, I, I must, you know, they would notice they noticed some stuff was going on, but that's when they were really trying to spend extra time with me and really connect with me. And that's, that's the last thing I wanted at that point. Cause I was like, what if they think they think I'm gay? I don't even know I'm gay. Do they, what if they think I think I'm gay? Right.
0: Right. Right.
1: And so that was going on around that same time. This was like 16, 15, 17. I was also like, had my first relationship with the girl. I got my, my first love, my first heartbreak. I got broken up to up, up with because they no longer found me attractive, which triggered anorexia, which triggered all this crazy health stuff for me. And so the upbringing for me was aside from like the huge family and like that they were Catholic and I came out all fucking, you know, <laughs> going against the grain. They still held me down when I came out to them. I think I was 19 and I was home for the summer my dad was like, so I was home for the summer. I was going through a breakup. My dad's basically, hey, I know you're gay. And I was like, he's like, I can tell you're my daughter. I can tell when she calls you, your voice changes. You change. Like, you have a girlfriend. And I was like, that's local, dad. Like, I'm not gay. You know, you're crazy. And he starts crying. And he was like, please, I know you. I know you're gay. And so I was like, I ah, started crying. I was like, I'm so sorry. I can't help it. You know, like, I like the same things you like. Like, I can't help it. <laughs> and, um, you know, so he ended up telling my mom over dinner uh-huh. while I was, you know, I was, I was at the, actually at the park lane pickup with my friends. They were at dinner at my sister's house. My dad broke down in the middle of dinner. My mom's like, ¿Qué traes? You know, ¿Qué pedo? ¿Qué, ¿Qué pasa? And he tells my mom. And basically, hell breaks loose. Because... My brother calls me and he's like, hey, like, mom just found out you're gay. I had told my siblings a year before. Smart move on my end. And so when my parents found out, my siblings came over and they were pretty much the mediator between me and my parents and just trying to navigate that situation. And per Mexican Catholic, that next week when I came home, it was literally it was I, I would come home and there'd be a different Catholic Priest, waiting for me to talk to me about this whole gate thing.
0: Oh my god! Wow.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, like my like we grew up going to church every Sunday. We went to church school. We were like, you know, the little helpers on the thing. Like we were Catholic as fuck. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So you know what you're talking about.
1: Yes. You know, to have that to come home and have to deal with that, but you know, I understand now that it was their own process. You know. Yeah. And so I don't hold anything and I don't hold any grudges about it. I don't, you know, whatever, like they were doing their best that they could at that time with what they had available, you know? And at the end of the day, they started to get more comfortable. My mom started asking all these fucking random, weird questions, uncomfortable, weird sex questions about being gay. And, you know, they had their own curiosity, like, well, how does this work? And what happens if I, you know, if you can't get married and what, you know? And so it was cool to kind of see the process happen alongside of like, you know, this queer movement that we've had the last couple of years with, you know, with voting on Prop 8. You know, there's been, I remember my parents too, that day that they want to go vote. You know, I didn't want to ask. My sister asked, they're like, Dad, so what did you vote on Prop 8? And they were both like, my dad was like, well, pues no lo entiendo, pero no quiero que la discriminen. So yo la apoyo. Mm. And I was like,
0: oh, that's that- bad dad. Sweet. That is so sweet. Those out there that don't know what Prop 8 is, can you um, explain so that amigas out there who are not aware of it can um, get a little bit of information on how it was so important?
1: Yeah, Prop 8 basically allowed us the right to marry and have the same legal rights as a hetero mm, cisnormative couple, which was big because if my partner in the hospital, I want to be able to see them. I want to be able to make decisions with them. I mean, that was something that without prostate we wouldn't have.
0: Right, exactly. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because it's so important. I think um, some of guys don't realize all the hardship involved in the gay community. And this, when the U.S. Supreme Court gave its decision about legalizing marriage, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. So grateful, so grateful. I had clients and they immediately got married. So I am so, so impressed by all the people that work diligently in support of Prop 8 and then reaching all the way to the United States Supreme Court and making it legal for the nation, for yeah. anyone who's LGBT to be able to marry, which I find that that is it's epic,
1: epic. Yeah. It's healthy. You know, it's it's something that our community really needed from a health perspective, you know, just to have that peace of mind. The peace of mind, I mean, period.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and just equal. You know, it's equality, equality for all. And and this is just putting you in the same position as any heterosexual couple. You know. Okay. So I'm, I'm over the moon for that. I'm so grateful and thank you for sharing that. Now, okay, so here's the thing. You, you dropped so many nuggets and you, you mentioned about your, your family being in business. So I know you're a businesswoman. So I know their businesses had an impact on you right now, right? So talk a little bit about the businesses that your family was in.
1: Yeah, my parents had an auto detailing shop for about 35 years. And that started when my, you know, one of the jobs my dad had coming over was just cleaning cars at a dealership. And so he basically had the idea of like, I'm going to go in business by myself. He approached his, his good friend that he worked with to try and do it with him. That friend was basically like, you're dumb. You don't speak English. You don't know what you're doing. Like, why are you? You're so dumb. Stay here. It's comfortable. It's safe. You could do this like, you know. So my dad luckily didn't listen and went on to do his own thing and opened that business with my mom. And uh, that was all of my family's first jobs. That's, I that was our first job. I literally, you know, I'm 36 now, right? They closed the shop maybe when I was like 28 or so. So I literally grew up in that shop. I had my andadera, my crib, everything was like in that shop. That's where I learned how to drive. Everything was in that shop. Also, I, you know, because I spent so much time in that shop and the shop was basically like, you know, it was like my parents and then there was like eight, 12 employees, you know, some legal, some not. And the vibe was just very much like chamba, like, you know, just a fucking dude vibe. Like, there wasn't no like proper, let me talk to you in a way that HR would approve. It was like, (laughs) and (laughs) then, ganas, len, ya vamos tarde it was a lot of like chingale yeah. let's go you know right 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 and i didn't realize the impact of that until i would say about 5 years into my business where i realized that my le- a lot of my leadership style came from like this male energy very like i don't give a fuck get it done like chingale you know like i don't give a fuck about your feelings right now let's go and where i was at at that point in my business that wasn't serving me And so, you know, having to do the work to be first, you know, where did that come from? Oh, shit. Okay. That's where that came from. Okay. Does this serve me? This part does, but this part does not. So, okay. How can we work on that? And so that definitely had a huge impact the second five years of my career. Cause the first five was just figuring out what the fuck I was doing. Like, how do I pay taxes and not go to jail? You know, (laughs) You know, I like to describe the second, fa- the second half half—the second as like, you know, usually if you make it past the first five, you start to, you know, get some momentum, some success. Yeah. People come after you at that point. And then those next five is about you deciding if you would like to heal through that and grow mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or not. And I haven't, I personally haven't met a lot of entrepreneurs who chose not to and were so successful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: You know, so I would, I would say in those ways it impacted me. And then lastly, like, <laughs> I want to share the story. I think it was maybe like my third, fourth year in business. I went home and I was just tired. I, I, drove, I drove my little hoopty to L.A. from the, from the Bay Area. I'm going to go see my mom. And I was like, mom, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to close it. Like, I'm just going to go back to my like 80K a, job, 80K a year job working for a fitness complex, whatever. Like, I'm out. Yeah, I'm a father. Yo, she like legit slapped me. <laughs> and then I, got to I didn't even see it coming. She was just like, ah, what are you doing down here? And I'm like, I came to tell you. She's like, you can't be taking trips. You have a failing business. Take your ass back in my car, go back to Oakland. And she didn't let me stay. She literally made me drive back. Oh my God. Wow. Me and told me I to drive back to Oakland. But
0: isn't that a blessing?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. And yeah. I think about that moment, you know, when I'm like, like, cause I have memories, you know, I don't have a lot of memories of my, you know, cute memories with my parents, but I have memories of me. Like I remember when the computers came out and my mom got a computer and she was there fucking like picando the fucking keyboard yeah. trying to figure out, you know, I remember her counting, you know, my parents have a third and fourth grade education. I remember her doing payroll and I liked payroll cause I like to be around all the cash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> little fingers you know what she what match she had so I think about that and I'm like bitch you have you speak English you have two degrees you got QuickBooks you got Google
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah
1: I sound real ridiculous right now (laughs) like complaining you know
0: yeah And,
1: and on top of that they had to feed 10 kids yeah I have two and I'm barely keeping food in the fridge sometimes for them they had 10
0: Wow! yeah, exactly. Isn't it incredible that you don't realize these amazing blessings until after you're like, look back and you're like, oh, now I know why I had to go through that, you know, you know, like you, my family, they're entrepreneurs. They came to this country illegally, like the majority of Mexicanos and built their businesses. And it came, it stemmed from family generations after generations of being entrepreneurs and, you know, hustling pretty much. They were hustling, working a lot. So you don't get to see your parents because yeah. they need to work and you're raised by nannies <laughs> or by the, or by the grandparents. And so you get to learn the business side of it all. But, you know, you, at the same time, you lack a little bit of the kid the kid in you because you had to grow up really quickly Yeah,
1: and help with the businesses. My wife sees that more than anybody. Yeah. You know, she, she actually brought it up today on her car ride. She's like, yeah, that makes sense. Cause like you had to figure it out. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, and even things like, you know, so I grew up playing sports and I remember, uh, I had no interest in college up until eighth grade when I was in eighth grade, they had this, college program called avid Uh uh-huh similar to like mecha okay you know and so they're like call me and they're like hey you know you have good grades like we want we want to have you apply to this avid program to help you get into college and i was like i'm not trying to go to college (laughs) they're like really and i was like no i'm gonna go work at the shop my parents have a shop i'm gonna go work there that's where all my siblings work i'm gonna do that they're happy i don't want to go to college and they're like well even if you even if you can play basketball and I'm like, wait, there's, wait, what's that part about? <laughs> so they're like, well, yeah, if, you know, you, you're in high school, but if you're really good, the college will pay you to play for them. Mm-hmm. And then, and I was like, wait, so I can keep playing basketball after high school? They're like, yeah. And if you're good for free and they'll pay for your school. And I was like, okay, tell me more. How does this work? <laughs> and so that's what actually got my interest in wanting to go to college and, You know, that's what impacted me in terms of high school, where I was like, I just want to get into all the AP classes so I get good grades and I can get in, and I want to be really good at basketball so I can get on the team.
0: Well, you had you had a goal, a mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you you did go to college, and not only that, you got an MBA also. So it's like you just kept on going. You're handling your shit, amiga. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Wow! So you decided to do all of your education in Northern California. Yeah, is, is that's by choice? That's because you applied to these schools only, or or because I know you don't live here in Southern California anymore. Yeah, you need to stay over there.
1: Yeah. So me deciding to go to school in Northern California in the beginning, initially, it was more so like which scholars, which scholarship sounds better. And which team, you know, do I think I'm going to enjoy playing with the most? That was kind of like the decision around my undergrad. I was looking at San Francisco State and I ended up playing at a private university in the Bay Area. But then my my grad school, I like to say, you know, that I moved back up because I was living in L.A. after after undergrad and I moved back up. And I like to say that it was for college, for my MBA, but it was really for a girl. <laughs> Power of the pussy. (laughs) Gets you to move anywhere across the globe.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. That is, oh my God. I'm. Uh, Yeah.
1: So with my MBA, I really was not into the idea of going back to school because I had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I had understood a little bit more about how the education system fucks you over. And so I was totally like, no. But I knew, I, I knew I wanted to start. So at this point, I'm 22, 23. I'm working as a manager at like a LA fitness and I'm making like 80 K and I was basically bored. So that's, that was my issue as an employee. I would always get fired, not because I suck, but because I would get bored, figure out how to do whatever I was supposed to do faster, quicker, and then just kick it. And then (laughs) they would look at me like I'm being lazy and I'm like, I did all my shit already. It only took me a week. It took you two weeks. That's not my problem. Hey. And so I get fired. So, so that's what was happening with me at this job where I had figured out how to hit my bonuses. I had figured out how to only work, you know, during the week and not on the weekends and blah, blah, blah. And I was just bored. And, um, I was like, okay, I've done the training. I understand the business side of it. I think I want to start my own gym, but I ain't got no money. So I was like, okay, I'm going to join the military. I'm going to get a sign-on bonus. I'm going go to boot camp, get ripped. And when I'm done, I'm going to use that to start a business. That was kind of the game plan. So I went through the entire process and I told my mom about it. And she was, ah, it's me, cheloca. I was like, all right, don't believe me, just watch. So I went through the whole process. I came home with the papers with my mom. And I was like, okay, I did it. What do you think? And she's like, cabrona, like, you really fucking did that. And I was like, I told you I was
0: gonna."
1: creo. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, at least I didn't sign it without you. I brought the shit home because they pressured you as fuck to sign there. You know, and I was like, let me bring this home. And so my mom was like, (sighs) she's like, the world is crazy right now. The last place I want you to go into is in the military. Do me a favor, apply to grad school. And if you don't get into grad school, then you have my blessing. So I was like, joke's on you, mom. I'm going to half-ass apply to everything. And I half-ass applied to any school that did not require the GMAT. And then I fucking got into all of them, and I was like, "Fuck! Now I have to go to debt again." <laughs> so it was a mix of that, and then also my family. together, but it's a healthy competition. And by that point, my two younger sisters had enrolled in their first semester at Georgetown for their masters. Nice. Mom was que tu hermanita chiquita tenga más educación que tú. Blah blah blah. And I was like. You're right. I could lose. Fuck it. <laughs> she knew what she knew what buttons to push. that's,
0: so that's how that was the incentive. Like no 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 no. Te vas a dejar? <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> they know buttons, on. <laughs> oh my god. So all right. So you do all this education. I mean, you did the Stanford University Graduate School of Business. You received a what is it called? The Latino Entrepreneurship. You were part of. You're a fellow. Mm-hmm. That, okay. Yes. That,
1: yeah. That's not easy. That was, I don't know how the fuck I got into that program because <laughs> somebody asked, they told me like, Hey, you should apply to this. And the minimum requirement was to have a company that had generated a million dollars in gross profit in a year. And I was like, my best year was half of that. Like I'm and they're like, just apply. And I'm like, this is a long ass application to just apply. I don't even meet the requirements. And so my sisters, you know, my family's big on like, why not you? So I applied and I got in and I ended up like being one of the the top entrepreneurs in that program. I think mainly because I was just excited. Like, I don't know, I I go into things with a lot of energy. Yeah, I won't go into them if I'm not energized by it, period. But that was a big lesson for me. And just like, why not you? You know, like, go for it, see what happens. And then what was really cool about that program was that there was obviously, I was the least experienced entrepreneur in that program. But to get the guidance and the support from other Latinos that are making millions a year to be like, hey, Natalie, check this out. Here's my card. Whenever you're in this, in this fucking state or this state, like hit me up. And it was just, it was important for me to see other Latinos like me bringing in commas.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love that. I'm glad that you surrounded yourself by these freaking amazing entrepreneurs. So I'm sure this had an influence on, on your company. Right. And um, I mean, when you're here's what I always believe is that you're the average of the five people that you associate with. And so if you're in these groups, guess what's going to happen. It's like magnetism. Their energy is going to magnetize towards you. And if they're vibrant and energized about their own businesses, that's just going to vibe with you as well. So this is awesome. So was the queer gym born out of this or was it already done before?
1: It was already done before. I think at that point I had been in business. Yeah, let was probably say like four or five years around this point.
0: Wow. But it
1: just allowed you to take it to another level, right? It what was possible. It allowed me to see what was possible. But again, it's just like the Latino. Like, I know a fuck ton of ritual white guys, right? <laughs> but like, it's like, and like the most beautiful ex- part about that experience was that like, I'm sitting here talking to this guy, like he's my tio, and this fool owns every grocery store in, in fucking Texas. <laughs> wow. And he's just, I mean, you know, like just really like, you know, and I was like, wow, like Latinos making commas, being graceful and humble.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the Latino commerce is huge. It's um, I believe someone quoted headed in one of my podcast episodes. She was mentioning that the amount of wealth that Latinos bring into our country, is this it's like the GDP is like the size of, of France or something like that something crazy. Yeah. crazy. I believe it. and I was like oh my god hey we're gonna be the majority pretty soon I mean I'm just saying right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, don't even, I take over this country you don't even know it thanks <laughs> there you go there, exactly so amiga please tell us About your gym and the reason why you even founded this gym, because like I said, this podcast is international and how important it is for, for us to talk about this because we need safe spaces for communities and please, please, please share. Yeah. Yeah. So with the gym,
1: the initial why, why I wanted to open this gym was because I believe that having access to a place like the gym where you can work on, your, on yourself, if you can do that, you start to unlock the other benefits of self-care, right? Like confidence, self-worth, right? Those are the things that allow you to kind of level up. And so if you immediately remove, you immediately remove all that possibility by not giving somebody like the queer community access to those things. And so that was my first hang up. was like, why can't we have access to the door that's going to unlock other doors? Like that was my biggest hang up. That's why I opened the gym because the gym was always for me, the safe space because I grew up an, an athlete. I love going to the gym. That was my, my happy place. And it always was until I started to look more masculine, right? Like, because at this point I've been an athlete, I was a trainer, I was a manager, but I still looked feminine, I had the long, the long fucking hair with the makeup and the fucking heels going to work and shit, you know, and the minute I started, you know, started with that Rihanna bob cut thing, you know, and then it started to get shorter and shorter. And essentially the butchier I looked, the gayer I looked, the less comfortable the gym became. And it got to the point where I would go and work train my clients at the gym. And then I would go home and work out by myself in my own room or backyard or whatever, because I didn't feel welcome. I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel safe. And things that don't seem like a big deal, but over time, little by little, it adds up. Like, like for example, going to the gym in the morning is already a task in itself, right? So just to walk in the door is like, all right, I'm winning already. Yeah. And then you hear, good morning, sir. My boobs that small? Like, damn it, I'm not a sir. Like getting misgendered and then having to make that small decision of like, doesn't matter. Should I just keep walking, whatever, and ignore it? Or should I be like, oh, no, actually, my pronouns are she, her. Have a good morning. Like, those little micro things, right? Okay, cool. I made it. Whatever, the little microaggression, fine. Let me go pee. And then you go in the bathroom. And then the little bijitas are like, did you know this is a ladies' room? I'm like, yes, bitch, I could read. <laughs> wow. You know, yeah. if I'm... Now, if I'm in there, you know, to change my fucking pad, I see people hiding in the towel. I see people like you see those little things. And it's just like, I honestly have to just change my pad. I'm not even looking at any of y'all, you know, and let's say I make it into the weight room. And if I'm there by myself, it's just like pissing contest between the butch and the guy. And if I'm there with my partner, my girlfriend, it's a pissing contest amongst the guys to see who can try and hit us up for a threesome.
0: Oh, my God
1: wow and that's just the aggressions that i deal with as a butch lesbian these things get fucking worse the gayer you get so like for example like the queer you get right the more in the spectrum you are the weirder it gets so like the people that have it the worst is the trans community you know so my thought was like the only queer having the shitty gym experience and then i was like if i'm having such a shitty gym experience and I know what the fuck I'm doing in here. Most people don't know what to do in the gym. And that's a whole other barrier. Oh my God, what does it look like for people who are queer as fuck and don't know what to do to the gym? And then I was like, they're never going to learn because they don't like coming in here. And then they're not going to learn. They're never going to get the confidence and the self-esteem. And, the, and that's when I was like, this is fucked up. Let me start Googling some shit, see what I find. And, you know, I Googled it. Lesbian personal trainer, gay gym. And it was just porn. Porn, 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 porn. Not like, wrong workout, buddies. Not looking for that kind of workout. <laughs> and, you know, one of my things I want to add on my LinkedIn as an accomplishment is that now when you Google queer gym, you don't get porn. You get a little bit of porn, but you actually get <laughs> queer stuff now for that thing in 2010. Right, right,
0: right, right. Wow. I mean, it's just. Um... I can just imagine, I mean, when you want to go to your happy place and you have, you have these like horrible encounters, it's obviously it's going to deplete you little by little, by little, by little, and creating a safe space for the LGBT community. I applaud you for that. Completely. This is amazing. I mean, this is something that in my heart, I believe. It should be a norm to to have a, a queer gym, not only in Oakland but in all kinds of places. Do you have that desire, that dream?
1: You know that was that is a dream, and that's a dream that became reality through the through COVID. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's opposite of what a lot of business owners have experienced. But you know, the dream was always to be able to kind of help queers across the nation. It's just a little bit more difficult to accomplish that when you're dealing with the capital that you need to run a brick and mortar in different areas and what that, you know, the complications of that. A year before COVID, I was already looking into moving into the online space. And by the time COVID hit, half of our clients were online, half of our clients were in person. And so once COVID struck, we basically had to speed up that, transferred everybody over to online, the online model. And then that kind of just sped up our goal of being able to help queers all across the nation. So we've been been 100% online since COVID. And our intention right now is to stay online past COVID because it makes a lot of business sense in terms of margins and things like that, right? Without having the cost of rent and utilities and all that. But it's also much more accessible for our clients, right? Because you don't have to be in Oakland to get a workout in. It also allows us to pull more talent because we can hire coaches and we have a coach in Rhode Island right now, you know. So for finance reasons, for accessibility reasons, for impact reasons, online just makes a lot of sense for us.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I'm an avid spinner. Like SoulCycle is my jam. I love to spin. when the whole shutdown happened I'm like what am I gonna do now (laughs) and everything started becoming online I said okay well there's some alternatives obviously I can't spin anymore but I can do other types of workouts I can do boot camp I can do yoga and whatnot and so what a wonderful pivot you made you know wonderful like like I mean, when people were struggling and not, and closing their businesses, yours just kind of skyrocketed and, and just launched into where you wanted to have your gym be all yeah. over, all over. Isn't that crazy? That's awesome. Yeah.
1: And you know, it's, it's my parents are so funny. So when I first opened the gym and I was explaining to my mom what I was doing, she was like, I don't get it. So do you guys do like day pushups or like what? And I was like, no, we do the same second like ups, mom. I had a snack there, you know, <laughs> and I think later on, like she was like, oh, okay, I get it. With COVID thing happened. I remember my dad came up to visit me for father's day. This is before, father's day before COVID. And I basically explained to him that we were making a $250,000 bet that online was going to be the next big thing in fitness. And so he was like, cause at that point our, our, our big, our large group boot camps were our biggest money maker. They were making like 60% of the gross revenue at that point. And I explained to my dad, I was like, yeah, it's making money right now, but this shit's gonna die. Like, all the market factors are pointing to this shit's gonna die to race for pricing to the bottom. So we need to get the fuck out of there. And so, explaining to my dad, I was like, I know it sounds stupid, dad, but I, we gotta get rid of this 250 right now, but we're gonna make a lot more later. Like, you know? And so he was like, I'm really nervous. I don't like this idea. It sounds risky. Why don't you just do both? And I was like, cause I don't have a bandwidth to do both. Like I want to be really good at whatever, one what I picked. So when COVID hit, he calls me and he's like, remember when we were talking outside your gym about how crazy I thought you were. He's like, you did it to me again. You did it to me again. Another fucking crate. My family calls me sapo. <laughs> he's like, pinche loca
0: idea del sapo.
1: and it worked out. <laughs>
0: you know what the universe was responding to you that's what it was you know it's like I totally I mean you know I don't like using the word pandemic I know it is but for me it's been a break it's just a pause so that I can like look inward and reassess reframe recalibrate
1: (laughs) well you know, I, I think, you know, when they say, like, when you make a lot of money, it just exposes more of who you are. Well, time is also a currency. So why would it be different if you're given a lot more time? It's only going to expose more of who you already are. And if you're a winner that wins, you probably spent this year winning a loser that loses. You probably spend this other year losing. Right. Yes. And I, I know that that's. People who don't win, that's a hard pill for them to swallow. They don't like when I say shit like that. It's true, though. It's true. It's true. It doesn't have to be your truth, but it's my truth. And that's been my experience, you know?
0: Totally. I mean, I love that. I love that. I mean, it's a, I think if anything, it really unleashed whatever we had inside this whole period. If you were depressed, you're, we now see it. If you had anxiety, now you we really see it. If you were a happy person, you're still happy, right? So it's like really this, this whole time that really, I mean, I can honestly say it was a break for me, a pause to reflect, to give our mother earth the break that it needed. Yeah. You know, you know coming from LA, the traffic, holy crap. You know, there was so smog, there's so much smog, you couldn't see anything. I mean, it's just, But ne- you know, well, now it's going back again, because now it's going yeah. to work. But yeah. that whole period of time, it was amazing. You know, we would see dolphins in the ocean more often. We would see, like, it was just amazing. And I'm like, you know what? Thank God for this. Thank God.
1: If anything has been highlighted for me this this past year, it's been that... It really just comes down to the thoughts between your your in your head, your mindset, your perspective, and you have the choice to change that at any point in time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I'm really I love what you're saying because I'm always about the whole mindset. To me, having been a lawyer now for 20 plus years, I really, when I became centered, back in 2017. I then started putting all the pieces together. Why my body was was uh, caving? Why was I depressed? Why was I anxious? Because words carry energy, and if you're always, you know, fixing people's problems and not realizing and carrying that into your vortex, it's gonna freaking kill you. And mm-hmm. so when I discovered the personal development, changing the mindset. Moving, moving forward, not backwards, and really becoming more intentional with my life, it was like, whoa, who knew that it could yeah. get better? Who knew it could get better, right? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah,
1: and that's one of the, you know, like, the, so the original name of the gym was The Perfect Sidekick. And one of the reasons it was named that was because I, I don't know. It's a gift and the curse of a coach. Like I can walk around and I just see like the beauty and the potential in people. And I'm like, Oh, like I look at you and I look at, a, I see a fucking superhero, you know, and I'm motivated by helping you unlock that. And so I always tell, like, I tell my kid, I was like, you're a fucking superhero dude. Act like it. You know, like we're all walking around with superhero abilities to create whatever we want. And yeah, most of us are blind to that.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's like, no, like, fuck Superman. Like, we're a superhero. You're a superhero. Yes, yes, yes. And then my son was like, well, what's my superpower? from the superhero. And I was like, that you can create whatever the fuck you want, whenever you want. Yeah. Like, and I was like, that doesn't work like that. You just got to learn how to do it, but I'll teach you how to do it. <laughs> but you can't
0: just be like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. That really is the truth. And you are a superhero. Definitely, amiga. Oh, my goodness. This conversation is wonderful. Yeah. Before I let you go, I'm going to ask you one or two tips on how an amiga can handle her shit.
1: Oh, number one, you need to get on a shit sandwich diet.
0: <laughs> and what's yeah. that all about?
1: A shit sandwich diet is you taking accountability, right? Having those tough conversations, being honest with yourself, addressing all the all the shit you don't want to address. Put the shit in a nice sandwich, and take a bite, girl, because the shit sandwich is going to fertilize your shit and you will grow from that shit sandwich diet. That's the number one.
0: Nice. I love that. I never heard anything like that. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm going to have to do a shit sandwich.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the more, the more shit, the number of shit sandwiches you're willing to eat is correlated with the number of success you're going to have. The more mm-hmm. shit sandwiches you consume, the more success will magically align for yourself.
0: Wow. I love that. I love that. Is so, there another, another tip? Because that was a pretty epic tip, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah.
1: The second one is, I'm just a big fan of prioritizing your self-care first thing in the morning because, you know, when you get paid, they're like, you should pay yourself first, yeah. right? Put money away for yourself. Time is currency too. When a new day starts, pay yourself first with time do you first, even if that means that you have to stop watching fucking Netflix at midnight so that you can get up at a decent hour to be able to take care of yourself. Because I often find that, like, you fuck up your tomorrow tonight by staying up late, doing stupid shit when you should be going to bed. You're already starting off tomorrow in a deficit. So, being really mindful of that, not just a self-care, but doing it first thing in the morning. Like, and that doesn't mean you have to get up at the asterisk of dawn. If you fucking get up at 11, fine, but do your shit at 11. Do
0: yourself first. Yes. Amen. I love that. Oh, my God. Bye, amiga. Well, you know, we're here at the top of the hour and I can always talk. I love my guests. I love my guests. (laughs) Uh, I would love to have you back. And I know now how to reach you. (laughs) (laughs) I love me. (laughs) Thank you so much. I am truly honored that you spent this time with us. You know at Amiga, handle your shit. The only reason I even have a podcast is because I've always believed that we as as amigas need to break away from the cultural limitations, and that one being is also how we see ourselves right how we see ourselves because you know through our families, I know in my family i la gorda, la gorda la, and that sticks that sticks. Yeah. Right? And so there's all these limitations that have been imposed in our in our culture, and I'm so elated, excited that you just cut those cords and you decided I'm fucking gonna make this gym, this queer gym.
1: Yeah, I'm scared of my mom. I have to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I know. Te va a pegar. Oh no. girl, I know, I understand. I think your mom and my mom are pretty much related. <laughs> well, thank you, my love. Thank you so much. I am thank so honored. Too. Thank you so much for being here at Amiga. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit Podcast. If anything resonates with you today, please share it with your friends and subscribe